0: There is a lot of excitement and anticipation at the start of a new year. Um, I think that we anticipate what a new year will bring and we really do hope for the best. For youth, it's been said that you have a lot to look forward to. You have your whole lives ahead of you. This is just the beginning of your life. Uh, But for Christians, we know that the future isn't always so bright. We don't deny the hardships of life. Think about this. Have you already felt some disappointments early in the new year? Persecution remains a problem for Christians around the world. We're still in the middle of a spiritual war. Sin and death remain our enemies. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, ready to destroy you. Trials still cause us trouble. Will you endure all the way until the end? How can Christians find the faith to persevere? Where can we find help when we feel like we want to give up? And where can we find hope as we face an uncertain future? In our passage today, Jesus is giving his last words to his 12 disciples before he heads to the cross. He's giving his final words to his friends and he's telling them to love one another just as he has loved them. Jesus is going to hit them with some heavy news. Jesus will give two sweeping statements about the future and what it holds for his followers. He centers on two big themes and he circles around them letting his disciples know that the themes are related. These are sobering realities that Jesus does not water down. Here's our sermon preview for today. The two main points in our sermon today come as a warning and as a promise. You're going to see a warning and a promise in points one and two. Jesus gives the warning as the bad news first, and then he gives the promise as the good news Think about how Jesus was setting the stage for his disciples in our passage today. They were going to see him suffer on the cross. Now, Christ calls us all to take up our crosses and to follow him. He warns that this will come with hate and persecution from the world, but he also promises help from the Holy Spirit and perseverance. Let's get started with the bad news first. Jesus first warns of hate. And persecution for his followers. Jesus first warns of hate and persecution for his followers. So why does the future hold hate and persecution for followers of Jesus? Let's see the reasons why the world might hate Christians. One reason why the world might hate Christians is because the world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus and we're going to see this in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. One reason why the world might hate Christians is because the world hates Jesus. At this point in Christ's life, he had already drawn the line between those who hate him and those who love him. Jesus knows that there is already a plot a devised plan to kill him. And the reason people want to kill him is because they hate him. This hatred is not superficial, but it goes all the way down to the heart. It's detesting, abhorring kind of hate. It's a hatred that harbors ill will towards someone so much that you want to see them dead. You want to see them killed. We call people haters and we tell people, don't hate. But this is not the type of hate that's in our passage today. This hatred that Jesus has in mind is no joke. To hate Jesus means you want to murder him. So the world will hate you because the world hates Jesus. But why does the world hate Jesus so much? Earlier in the life of Christ, when Jesus was once talking to his then unsaved brothers, he said, the world cannot hate you But it hates me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Jesus says that the works of the world are evil. He says that the world is filled with bad, wicked criminals. He says that they do nothing good, no righteousness, no positive moral value. In fact, they are inherently evil. They're just inherently negative moral value. The world is opposed to God and his goodness, and they are of the evil one, a title of Satan. So of course this offends the world. They can't tolerate being told the truth. Everyone who does evil hates the light for fear of being exposed. Jesus says that the works of the world are evil, so the world hates Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you are his friend and the world is going to hate you too. You might feel nervous at this point, experiencing some anxiety. You might want to push back a little bit. Wait, Jesus, your logic doesn't seem totally legit. Uh, We can be friends, but I don't need to be the one calling people evil. I can talk about love and prayer and helping others, but I can still love the world, right? And didn't you tell us that God loves the world? Let's look at Jesus' response. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to those when people speak well of you, because this is what previous generations did to the false prophets. False prophets, they spoke well of the world. And so the world loved them. They speak only what people want to hear. They don't tell the truth. And this is a warning against seeking the approval of the world rather than being faithful to God. True believers... True believers tell the whole truth regarding God, sin, Satan, and salvation. Hear what Hebrews 11 says about those who had what it takes to enter the hall of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Uh, You can see it's very clear the world will hate Christians and you cannot be friends with the world. Hate and persecution is coming for Christians because the world hates Jesus. I want us to pause and I want us to think through what this means for us today. Some of you are very young. We were in children's worship together just a year or two ago. But eventually, in very short years, You will be where our older youth are today standing at the cusp of college and young adulthood. You all know who Jesus is. You all know what he stands for. Our text today demands that you make a decision now about Jesus. You either love him or you hate him. To be indecisive is to refuse him. To be indifferent is to reject him. You either love him or you hate him. Now if you love him, you know what you're getting into. Uh, The Apostle John warns us, he says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not be surprised, don't be caught off guard, don't be naive. You would think that Jesus would want the world to love Christians. You would think that if you show the world the same love that Jesus does, then you'll be loved back in return. Uh, But that's not how the world works. The world will see you as different. The world will see you as strange. There's going to be a cost to following Christ, but the cost is nothing compared to the reward. Take courage and resolve in your heart right now to never forsake your Savior. In your younger years today, you can prepare for persecution by anchoring yourself in scripture, practicing prayer, slaying your sin, committing to the church, and finding real friends who love Jesus. If you have not yet been baptized, okay. if you have not yet been baptized, now is the time to consider. Uh, It's a sign of obedience to Christ and a public profession of your faith. I was baptized when I was in junior high. Uh, But let me tell you something. Being baptized, it, it did not stop me from sinning. It didn't make me a super Christian. But what being baptized did was that it made me confident of my assurance that I know what I believe and I'm making a statement that this is what I stand for and I stand with Jesus. It did proclaim my commitment to Christ and it was a marker that reminded me of my indebtedness and dedication to him. Stay loyal to the Lord. So you see that the world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus and Jesus gives us another reason for why the future holds hate And persecution for his followers. You are not of the world. You are not of the world. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Another reason why the world might hate Christians is because Christians are not of this world. Jesus says that his disciples are not of the world, that he chose them out of the world. Those in my Sunday school class, you know what this word chosen means. It means to be picked. It means to be selected. It means to be placed out of the world. They have been separated, disassociated, set apart, and set away. Christians are in the world, but we're not of the world. Christians are light in darkness. The world will not listen to Christians. They might hear you and your words, but they won't be convinced. They will remain fickle. Culture will continue to shift and sway on their views of Christ, and Christians First John 4 says of unbelievers, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. You cannot finally succeed at being friends with the world. In fact, anyone who continues to befriend the world is basically making the world into an idol. It's akin to adultery. Hear what James says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. In verse 20 of our passage, Jesus goes on to say that a servant is not greater than his master. And he's repeating words from John 13, 16. This example is easy to understand. Jesus first said this in relation to washing his disciples' feet. He said that if he, the master, were to wash his disciples' feet, they were to follow his example. And if they were to continue following his example, then of course the world will hate them because they hate the source. If you hate the leader, you're going to hate his followers too. In Kevin's sermon from two weeks ago, Jesus made an astonishing statement by calling us his friends. It's an incredible privilege to be called a friend of God. But it's also increasingly dangerous as the world refuses to tolerate anyone in camaraderie with Christ. And Jesus gets more real. He says, not only are they going to hate you, but they're going to persecute you. They're going to harass you. They're going to oppress you. They're going to chase you and pursue you. They're going to put pressure on you. Now, in case you're thinking that Jesus is just being dramatic, The Apostle Paul, someone who knows persecution, straight up says in 2 Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now in verse 21 of our passage, Jesus continues again saying that the world is going to persecute you on account of his name. Meaning, because of who he is. And he pushes it further by saying they do not know God the Father, the one who sent Jesus as a savior. Jesus makes it clear whoever hates him hates God the Father. Throughout his whole ministry, Jesus has been making himself equal with God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And Jesus says that if you hate Jesus, you hate God. If you did not share his words and his works with the world, his teachings and his miracles, then the world might have an excuse. You might have an excuse not to know him. But because Christ has arrived, because Christ has come, there's no more excuses. The world has reached a decision. Jesus is the free healing cure For the failing and fallen human heart, yet the world refuses to receive him. Jesus is free food for every starving soul, yet the world refuses to taste and see. The world hates Jesus, and it's a sin to hate the Son of God. Our Savior is not surprised. Christ is not caught off guard. In verse 25, He says that their hatred has been foretold of before. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? You see, Jesus in our passage is referring to Psalm 69 verse 4 a psalm that was originally written by David, but finds furthering and fulfillment in Christ. Hated without cause, attacked with lies. David, from the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, was hated for being a part of God's people. And David was not perfect. David was still sinful, but Jesus, Jesus was sinless. There was no guilt to be found in him. So the world really did not have any excuse or a reason to hate him. He was sinless. But the reason they hated him was to reveal the sinful disposition of their hearts. Isaiah 6 says it best. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. The world hears, but does not understand. They see, but they do not perceive. Their hearts are dull, their ears are heavy, Blind eyes, stiff necks, the world hates Jesus, and the future holds hate and persecution for his followers because his followers are not of this world. Let's take a break and consider what it really means to be called out of this world. Some of you have claimed to be Christian, but you still seem to be at home in this world. Maybe you neglect coming to Sunday school or Friday night fellowships. Maybe you waste your days away playing video games. Maybe you feel empty inside. You're constantly entertained with shows or movies. Maybe you feel insecure or you freak out because of your lack of followers and your views on social media. Or maybe you put all your hopes and dreams in academics, sports, or music. You have become a bit too comfortable in this world. Jesus gives us a word of warning for Christians who have made an idol out of ease. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Excuse me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, what you treasure, what you hold on to in this life reveals where your heart is. Christians are called to cherish Christ above all. Your treasures on this earth will all be destroyed. Your academic achievements, your success in sports, your magnificence in music. Does this describe you? You can put all of your hopes and dreams in a college or a career, but you leave Christ out of the equation. You can put all of your time and your energy in pursuing wealth and relationships, but you leave the Lord with your leftovers. You can center your life around comfort and safety, but you forget about the kingdom and you forget about your calling. You search for acceptance by accumulating friends and followers, but forget that Jesus is already unashamed of you. This world is not your home. Anchor yourself in heaven and find your home in Jesus. The first promise, it's a warning that Jesus gives, and it's of hate and persecution for his followers. This was the warning. It was the bad news. So let's get to the good news. The good news is of help and perseverance. Help and perseverance. The second point that Jesus gives his disciples is that of help, and it's coming and they will persevere. This is the good news. The Holy Spirit will come, sent to believers to help, and believers will be kept from falling away. It's perseverance. And how exactly will this help and perseverance happen? It happens by this. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. You're going to see this specifically in verses 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, is going to bear witness about Jesus. The Spirit is going to testify. He's going to give his testimony about Jesus. He's going to commend and speak well of and vouch for Jesus. Now, when I talk about the word testimony, I don't want you to think about testimony in terms of like a camp retreat where you go up and you give a testimony if you feel like it. No, I want you to think of this word testimony like it's a courtroom. Like the Holy Spirit is being summoned to speak, to give his testimony about Jesus. He has to do it. He's compelled to do it. He's going to do it. And uh, whether he likes it or not, and he does like it, the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness about Jesus. He doesn't say what he feels, but he speaks of what is true. This is what it means for the Holy Spirit to give his testimony. He's the spirit of truth. He is compelled and sure to speak the truth about Jesus. And he testifies to those who approach the throne of God with humble, broken, and contrite hearts. He speaks to those who submit to the king. He tells the truth about God to those who want to spend time with him. There is a certain type of inner conviction that comes from personal intimacy with Christ. The Holy Spirit helps you know that God is real. His word is true. And Jesus really does love you. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You know him. And he dwells with you, and he will be in you. In verse 27 of our passage, Jesus takes the idea of the Spirit bearing witness even further by saying that his followers will also bear witness. Now, this part of our passage, it's easy to miss. It's tucked underneath the idea of being kept from falling away and being helped by the Spirit. You can see how it relates to what Jesus is saying, though. The Holy Spirit testifies of Christ in the hearts of believers, and believers testify of Christ. To the hearts of unbelievers so there's an inward testimony that the holy spirit gives us and there's an outward testimony that we give to the world to the world of unbelievers for god said let light shine out of darkness he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ jesus's followers we're not just going to say that jesus was a cool guy we're not just going to say that he was a great leader, a great philosopher, a great thinker. Jesus is not someone you meet one day and you forget about the next. No. For followers of Jesus, there is nobody in the world like him. Nobody ever spoke like this man. His words were unforgettable. His character was undeniable. His grace was inconceivable. His wisdom was inexhaustible and his beauty, not his outward beauty, but his inward beauty. The beauty of who he is, it's indescribable. His followers bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the son of God and the savior of the world. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus and believers in turn will bear witness to the unbelieving world. Now, wait a minute. How can, how can you say that we have seen Jesus? Did you catch that? I said, if you have seen Jesus, you will bear witness and you will testify to the world. But Aaron, I've never seen Jesus. I've never physically seen him. So how can you say that I'm going to see him and then I'm going to go and tell others about them, how can that be? Paul writes in Ephesians 3:4: when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That's how we see him. Seeing comes through reading. God says that reading is seeing Jesus. Have you truly seen Jesus? Have you seen him for who he is? And do you know him well enough to be able to share him with others? Can you testify and tell others about him? Maybe you've been coming to church your whole entire life, but if you're honest with yourself, you have never encountered Jesus. You've never known him. And may I humbly suggest that if this this is the case with you, you have not been emphasizing the word. And here's another way that you can be sure that you have seen Jesus. Acts 4.20, it says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Scripture says that if you have truly seen Jesus, you can't help but speak about him. You can't keep it in. And so maybe, maybe you just need to start practicing. Maybe you just need to start speaking the gospel to others. Maybe it can start in your small group. Maybe you need to start being open and actually speaking about God to others. You know, for those in my Sunday school class, you know, you know that I like to go around and I like to ask you questions. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm not trying to pick on you. It's an exercise. It's an exercise in helping you being able to articulate the truth. And this is something that I learned in school. It's giving you the vocabulary of the Bible. It's training your tongue in the sharing of scripture. We read, we see, and then we speak. In times of persecution, help comes as the Holy Spirit testifies to us about Jesus, and believers will in turn testify to others. You'll find next that Jesus says you will persevere. Your faith will persevere until the end. You will be kept from falling away. This is our final point for today. You will be kept from falling away, and you're going to see this In verses 1 through 4, what's written next are some choice words from Christ, specific and to the point, but not with indifference or a lack of care. Jesus, Jesus keeps his disciples. True believers, true believers cannot fall away. Their salvation is secure, but they're going to endure a lot of trials and their faith is going to be tested. They will endure all the way till the end. I told them to you. Again, in case you think that Jesus is just being dramatic, oh, they're going to kill me. Uh, He really does mean that. Um, Jesus does mean these words. He's not being dramatic. And I want to present to you the life, again, of the Apostle Paul. You know, before he was converted to Christ, Paul was the chief prosecutor of the church. Paul took pleasure in killing Christians. He was said to be breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul was a Jewish man and he knew about God the Father, but he didn't like the fact that Jesus said he was the son of God. He didn't like the fact that Jesus to claim that he was the savior. He, Paul, thought that Jesus was a liar. Paul thought that Jesus was a blasphemer. And so he hated Christians. He hated followers of Christ. Paul thought he was being righteous. He believed what he was doing. It was what God wanted. by hating, persecuting, and murdering Christians, he was sure he was offering service to God. Look at what Paul says about his previous life. This is awfully scary words that Paul says. He said, I myself, this is Paul talking, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Persecution is going to come from people who think they are right. They think they know what it means to follow God. They think they know what it means to be a good person. They think they know what it means to live a moral life. They'll say things to you like, well, if you love me, you're just going to let me live my life, right? Just let me be. They're going to say things like, Don't tell me what to do with my choices and my lifestyle. They're going to redefine sin, and they're going to have a sense of having the high moral ground. But they don't really know God. They don't truly know Jesus. Jesus Jesus eventually set Paul straight on the Damascus road when he revealed himself in glory. Uh, Paul fell down to the ground, scared and humbled, but ultimately saved and healed to believe in Jesus. This is our hope for those who don't yet believe in Jesus, we pray for those who persecute us. In our passage today, Jesus is giving his followers a warning in advance so they know what they're going to be up against. He wants them to brace themselves. He wants them to say, yes, Jesus said that this would happen to us. And what Jesus isn't doing, he's not saying, look, I told you so. I told you you're going to be persecuted. No, he's giving us a warning. He wants to help us. He wants you to win. He wants you to endure, to succeed and to follow him all the way, to trust him, to believe him, to have faith in him. If you are anxious about your life in any way, you can find peace knowing that nothing to you happens outside of God's sovereign plans. Jesus knows what's gonna to happen to you. If you're scared about your circumstances, if you're worried about the future, know that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. On this side of the cross, we know that we have the Holy Spirit to empower us as we persevere. For starters, the Holy Spirit is said to, to seal us. He says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This means that you are marked as authentic children of God with his authority to keep us as his own. The Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial to keep you as followers of Christ. He will keep you from failing and falling away. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in our endurance. For Christians to be kicked out of the synagogues and for Christians to be killed would require nothing less than reliance on the Holy Spirit's help with perseverance. Let's stop one last time and think about what it means for Jesus' disciples to be put out of the synagogues. Okay, so that's our mindset right now. What does it mean? To be put out of the synagogues. For many of them the synagogue was their place of identity. It was where they were represented in the world. It was where they could celebrate their background, their culture, and their heritage. It was where they were accepted and safe. They had family and friends in the synagogue. But Jesus says that they would soon be put out, expelled, and rejected from the place that they called home. If you're a Christian here today, I wanna to give you some encouragement. There's a special and certain type of honor for those who suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Excuse me, this is what Acts five forty says. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor For the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So for those of us who are Asian American, we understand what it means to be in an honor-shame culture. And if we look closely at our culture, especially with Chinese New Year here, we see how our culture, it actually does clash with being a Christian and with the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, there are some who really do have to reject the beliefs and the customs of their culture, even forsaking family and friends after they are born again. It is a privilege and an honor to join the ranks of these great saints who have suffered dishonor for the name of Jesus. To be counted worthy for the sake of Christ is commendable, respectable, and inspiring. You can be sure that Jesus sees your suffering. He is aware of it, and you are not alone He is not scared and he does not shrink away from it. He has given you the church to come alongside you for encouragement and for support. He will answer your prayers for perseverance. God will give you the strength to serve him in suffering. So let's demonstrate Christian unity at our schools. Let's demonstrate Christian solidarity. When you see someone at school and you know them from church, I want you to say hi to them. I want you to hug them. I want you to... Give them a high five. And when your friends, when they ask you, hey, how do you know that guy? How do you know that girl? I want you to say, this is my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. And then I want you to invite your friend to come to church. You all have friends and family who do not come to church. It is still culturally acceptable to invite people to church. So let's not, let's not, Take this for granted. Keep persisting, keep insisting. Put a little bit of your reputation and risk and your likability on the line. Be courageous for Christ. It is not foolish to be jealous for the fame of Jesus. This reminds us to pray for all the Christians who suffer real persecution around the world. My family, I told you we pray for missionaries on Mondays, but now I wanted to make it a point to pray for the martyrs too. I'm convicted that you must share the work of spreading the gospel and expanding the kingdom. We must live our lives proclaiming Christ. This is our big idea. Jesus, he gives a warning and a promise in his final words to his disciples. The first point is a warning that Jesus gives. It's a bad news and it's of hate and persecution for his followers. Um, And the good news, though, the second point is a promise, and it's that help is coming and that we will persevere. So here's our big idea for today. Christians will endure hatred and persecution with help from the Holy Spirit and persevering until the end. Christians will endure hate and persecution with help from the Holy Spirit and persevering until the end. And if I can give you the big idea again, but this time I'm going to give it to you a little bit more uh, simple, and I'm going to give it to you more, more broadly and with a beat this time. With help from God and sovereign grace, you will endure and keep the faith. With help from God and sovereign grace, you will endure and keep the faith. Now, I want to be very clear about this listen to me nowhere in the bible does it say that we are to retaliate nowhere in the bible does it say that christians when we are persecuted that we're supposed to fight back nowhere does it say that we're supposed to stand up for ourselves and hurt other people that persecute us to take it further I want you to look at Jesus' example on the cross. Okay, think about this. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then when he was saying this, the soldiers, they were casting lots. They were gambling for Jesus' garments. In the greatest persecution imaginable, in the greatest persecution that happened to Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus is forgiving He does not send down legions of angels. He does not come down from the cross and take matters into his own hands. And the soldiers, they were playing a game with Jesus' garments. They were playing a game for keeps with the clothes of Christ. But Jesus, he just treats them like kids who don't know any better. Jesus just says, oh, they're just kids playing a game. They, They don't understand what they're doing. It's okay. Father, just forgive them. This is unbelievably kind. This is appallingly gracious. It's a thing that only Jesus would do. And the reason he did this was to lovingly be a sacrifice for our sins. If you can help me with the next slide, please. I want to show you. Okay, you, you need to see this. He was oppressed and afflicted that he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can recount his descendants? for he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. So Christians, we do not fight back when we face persecution. We have the example of Jesus. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ was mistreated for us. He took the punishment for our sins. He willingly went to the cross to kill your sin, and by his resurrection, you are forgiven, and you can have eternal life with him, If you confess your sins, and if you believe this, you will have eternal life. Wake up and come out of the grave. Believe and be forgiven. Find true rest and new life in Christ. If God has moved your hearts in any way today, please come meet me after so I can pray with you. I've already given you many application points throughout the sermon. And so these are our applications again, and I want to rephrase them as questions. What parts of your life have you not yet surrendered to Christ? Is there something that you're holding back from him? If Jesus demands all of you, what parts have you not yet surrendered? Then what areas of your life are you still living in the world? Christ has called you out so are you living like you're out of the world or are you still living like you belong in there no you belong to jesus christ come out and be totally and wholly devoted to him then can you honestly say that you have seen jesus with your own eyes can you bear witness to him can you say it to your friends and your family who do not believe yes i've seen jesus come taste and see that the lord is good he's there for you can you say that to your friends and family finally How can you encourage Christians who have been kicked out of the synagogues? There are Christians today who are hurting. Do you pray for the persecuted church? And if you have family or friends who you know are lonely, can you come alongside them? Can you be their friend in their time of need? For all of us today, we are all called to share Jesus. Don't be afraid of being awkward. God does not give up on us so we do not give up on others. With warmth and with wisdom, be persistent and insistent in your evangelism. Invite others to church and ask how you can pray for them. Share the good news. I want to go back to the beginning again for our conclusion. It's true, okay, it's true that for followers of Christ, the future is not always going to be perfect. For followers of Christ, There will come times of difficulty, and there will come times of persecution. But my challenge to you is that you're actually not looking far enough into the future. We think that this world is all there is, and if there's suffering in this world, then that means you lived a bad life. It's not true. It's not true. Your life is not measured by what happens here. But our lives here are measured by eternity. And so if you can put your gaze forward into heaven, if you can expand the vision and put your horizon onto Christ, you will find the strength to persevere. Look at this passage in Hebrews. It says that people joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They experienced great persecution. People stole their stuff. And why did they joyfully accept it? They joyfully accepted it because they knew that they themselves had a better possession and a better abiding one. Their better possession was in heaven. Their better possession is Jesus Christ. The presence of his glory with great joy. This is getting a little bit meta, but I'm going to repeat the words of Jesus that he said. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Listen to my words, hear the voice of Jesus. He's going to keep you until the end. With help from God and sovereign grace, you will endure and keep the faith. This is just the beginning of your lives and we have a lot to look forward to together. Let's pray. This is a prayer poem that I wrote for you today here in the youth service at FCBC Walnut. A warning and a promise to those who bear the cross that when the night is coming, our joy comes with the dawn. Our sins have been forgiven, our souls have been set free in trials and in testing. We have all that we need, for just as Christ has suffered, so we must suffer too. With hate and persecution, they know not what they do. But as the Spirit seals us and we recall his words, we see the Son in glory and hope for his return. With help from God Almighty and surely sovereign grace, We will endure to heaven, hold on and keep the faith.